everyone. Welcome to episode 99 of the Book Cougars, two middle-aged women on the hunt for a good read. I'm Emily. And I'm Chris. And we are really excited to be recording together today. We are not physically together. We're doing what is the right thing to do these days, which is to keep safe. And we are practicing our social distancing skills but happy to be utilizing Skype to visit with each other today. Yeah, we're both still in Guilford, Connecticut, in our respective dwellings, and um, happy to have this technology to, to keep the episodes coming to you. So you will notice that our sound quality is a little bit different, and um, we appreciate you bearing with us on that. We can't utilize our fancy equipment unless we're in a room together. We want to give a big thank you to listeners Emily and Kate, who sent us donations in honor of our pending upcoming next 100th episode. Thank you, Emily and Kate. Yes, thank you both so much for your generosity and kindness. We really appreciate it and can't wait to put those funds to good use, especially when we can get back to having Biblio adventures together. We are very much looking forward to that. So, Chris, before we dig into our segments, you had a couple of things you wanted to talk about. Yeah, I have a couple updates and then one correction from the last episode. I gave the wrong translator for One Moonlit Night by Caradoth Pritchard, the book that I was reading for the Wales Readathon. The translator is actually Philip Mitchell. I believe I said it was Niall Griffiths who actually wrote the foreword. Philip Mitchell did the excellent translation into English, so I wanted to clarify that. And then I just wanted to let listeners know about some digital updates going on in the world. Um, Macmillan ended their ebook embargo, which will make more of their ebooks readily available. There's also a free trial of an app called Scribd which I know a lot of readers already use. You can get ebooks, audiobooks, I believe magazines, and then very cool is sheet music from this app. They're offering a free 30-day trial of the type where you do not have to put in a credit card, which is very convenient for a lot of people who do not like to put their credit cards online or would just rather not go there with another app. I do have a a trial that I had activated, so I am messing around with that app a little bit. And then the other thing, here in Guilford, the Guilford Free Library, our local library, they have been closed now for a couple weeks, but they are expanding their online holdings. Now people with a library card can get up to 10 books or items, I should say, on services like Hoopla. And there are more copies available of various books and then, you know, expanded holdings in general. So that's kind of a cool thing. And we just wanted to let you all know about that and encourage you to keep checking in online with your own local library if you don't get their email updates, uh, just to see what they might be doing at this time. Yeah, and don't be shy to start, you know, putting a bunch of things on request because it sounds like you might be getting them more swiftly as they purchase more copyrights and things like that. Yeah, and you know what? I did hear from um, a friend in Nebraska who their library has started allowing physical holds again. So oh, interesting. Yeah, they've opened their lobby and they'll have physical holds that have been requested there that they're putting in bags and I guess they'll let you know when your book is there. So 
I'm not sure how many libraries across the country or world are doing that. Yeah, that's interesting because I know where we are, they've asked for people not to return anything to the library. Yeah. But maybe that'll be one of the steps that comes soon is that they do get some staff back in and start start doing a little bit of circulating of books again. Yeah. So, yeah, we'll have to keep our eyes on that. Right. Any other updates? I don't think so. Well, good. Let's uh, jump into currently reading. What are you reading right now, Emily? I am reading a book that I am so excited about. And um, shout out to Riverhead Books for giving me an early copy of this. This book is called The Vanishing Half. It's by the author Britt Bennett. For those of you who that name sounds familiar, she was the author of the book The Mothers, which was her debut novel and it's a book that I waxed poetic about on both episode 8 and episode 35 if you want to go back and listen to me talk about it it was my one of my top reads in 2017 this is considered don't they call this like their sophomore book when right. they come out with their second yeah and um it releases on June 2nd so I was super excited to get it early and so far I love it. I'm about 20% in. I'm reading it as an ebook. And it's about a set of twins, identical twins, who are very light skinned black. It takes place, I believe, in the 50s. And they live in a small town where their family was one of the leading founding families of this town that was filled with a lot of light skinned blacks. And the premise of the story is that the two girls, it's a very small town, um, and in their teens, they decide that they want to leave, and they want to strike out to the big city, which for them is New Orleans, to see the bigger world. And one of them ends up deciding to enter into the world passing as a white person, and the other one doesn't, and chooses to marry a man that's very dark-skinned and has a child who's very dark-skinned and ends up going back to her small town. And that's as far as I've gotten, so I don't know more at this point. But I'm loving the writing, I'm loving the story, and all I want to do is read. Sadly, I do have to work, but (laughs) (laughs) I'm looking forward to the weekend around the corner so I can uh, dig back into it. Again, that's called The Vanishing Half. By Britt Bennett. Nice. Well, the book I'm currently reading, it was released a couple thousand years ago. (laughs) I'm sorry. So I I think it's available. (laughs) Yes, it's readily available. (laughs) Um, But I am reading The Odyssey by Homer. Granted, the translation I'm reading just came out a couple years ago. It's the one by Emily Wilson, which is a beautiful translation. And I've been doing the audiobook uh, hard copy combination. I'm on book 13 of 24 right now, uh, which means that I have about four hours left on the audio. And since I'm not driving that much at all anymore, I am doing more of a read with the book. But I was thinking maybe this weekend I might put my headphones on and read and listen at the same time. I think that might be a great experience. Oh, that's a cool idea. To do yeah. both together, because I've done either one or the other, so doing both together might be fun. Yeah, we're supposed to have a rainy weekend, so it might be the perfect opportunity. Yeah, so I'm doing uh, that. I, I'm just reading that those that book right now. I, I don't have other things going at this time. 
Me either. All right. That was my only. So what did you just read? Well, I did finish One Moonlit Night, the book I uh, mentioned early on the episode and that I talked about last episode is currently reading. This is by Caradoff Pritchard. It was originally published in 1960-something, and it was written in Welsh, in a Welsh dialect. So it was a northern Welsh dialect that Pritchard wrote this book in because that's where he was from. And when it was translated into English, the translator, Philip Mitchell, did just such a great job of still making you feel like you're reading a dialect. You know, you, d- you definitely don't feel like you're in Kansas or London. You know, you definitely, <laughs> it, there's a different pacing and uh, languaging going on. I did some Googling about uh, different things that are mentioned in the book, and I'm really now getting into the geography of Wales a little bit more and understanding that. Cause I had no idea where Cardiff was, which is in the South of Wales. And this book is set up in, in Northern Wales in Bethesda, which at the time that he was set this book in the mid 19 teens, it was a real rural village, but you just get a really wonderful glimpse of what life was like back then for this small boy And by wonderful, I mean the writing is wonderful and seeing things through his eyes, wonderful and also terrifying at times because he is a young boy and, you know, you're trying to figure things out about adults at that age and what's going on and so many things you don't even perceive because you don't have that intellectual context yet. So there are things that he mentions and talks about at one level that you can see as an adult at a different level. It's a very multi-layered novel. It's super short, but so powerful, and I highly recommend it. Excellent. I'm glad you liked it. That's great. Yeah, I really did. And, you know, not to do too much of a spoiler, and I guess it's not a spoiler because I think it might even be on the back. Some people think that the narrator is mad as he's retelling this. You mean like crazy mad? Like crazy mad, yeah. Okay. Because it does explore a lot of the poverty and the violence and the mental health and the diseases, you know, that weren't treatable back then. I mean, it goes into dark places for sure. And I gasped at one point because I totally didn't see something coming. I actually physically cried reading this book. It's such an emotional roller coaster of a book. And uh, Pritchard was, I guess, primarily known as a poet. One thing that I learned in the the literature of Wales, the book that I talked about last time, is that the poetic tradition in Wales is huge. It's firmly embedded in poetry, and poetry is still very popular today. And you can tell that from reading this this small novel, how poetic his writing is in general. And I I wish he would have written more novels. Yeah. Yeah. Is this his only novel? Yes. Oh, okay. Yeah, as from what I read about him, which I you know I haven't gone into too uh, deeply about him yet, um, but it was very much autobiographical. This novel, uh, spoiler alert, that happens is that his mother, who he's very close to, he's raised by a single mom, is uh, sent to an asylum, mm. and <laughs> that was based on uh, Pritchard's life that really wow. happened to his mom in real life, and that. That's one of the heart, most heartbreaking scenes in literature that I've read in a long time is how all that happens and 
just the lack of language and ability for people in the novel to talk about what's actually going on, to talk about mental health, you know, mm-hmm. um, yeah. as one of the kind neighbors says is, you know, she is quote, having a weakness, which mm. he means that in a very kind way. But again, that harkens to you're being weak, you know, pull yourself up by your bootstraps kind of thing that people still today say to other people who are struggling with mental health issues. So you, right. know, you see, right. you see that. And, and even though these people are trying to be kind with him, they're adults and he's a boy and he's the one who has to take his mom into yeah. the asylum. Yeah. And it's, it's just heartbreaking and shocking. And whew, yeah. yeah, I, I mean, mean, we do have a lot more language for mental health issues now, which I think is a wonderful thing, but it can still really be hidden and buried in families, especially. Yeah, for sure. So again, that was one moonlit night by Caradoth Pritchard. And I believe that's how you pronounce that his first name. His first name is C A R A D O G. So it's it looks like Kara Dog, but I believe it's Kara Doth. Well, I read Hideaway by Jason Pinter. He is the founder and editor of Polis Books, and Polis Books is the publisher that published our buddy Heather Harper Ellett's book, Ain't Nobody Nobody. Awesome. And this book was so good. It was a page turner. I've been seeing out in the world of social media, a lot of people saying, wow, I'm having such a hard time getting my head into a book. And I was feeling the same way. And I noticed that having a book that just had a really propulsive plot was something that helped me be able to step out of the real world and into reading my reading life, which is what I typically look for in for my reading life is some <laughs> escape. So this is the first book in the series with the protagonist, Rachel Marin, and she is a vigilante single mom, total badass. <laughs> I really love her character. I'm so thrilled to know that this is the beginning of a series. The book opens where she's kind of a stay-at-home mom with a new baby and a a kid that's off to school, I think like a seven-year-old. She's waiting for her, her child and her husband to get home. She's got dinner on the table. They're both late. She's getting annoyed. She's kind of annoyed with her life, you can tell. And then she hears blood-curling screams from her son, who's arrived to the front porch, and there's a bloody bag sitting on the front porch. And how big is that bag? It's kind of big. (laughs) (laughs) And I I offered a little spoiler in a video that we put out this week, but I'm not going to say what the spoiler is in the episode. For fear that it was too big of a spoiler. But basically, she in her life doesn't get the justice that she was hoping to get. And so she trains and becomes an incredibly fit, incredibly aware mother. And she's very concerned about protecting her children. She moves to a new town and she starts to help without them necessarily wanting to help the local police solve a new murder mystery, which involves the death of the former mayor of the town. Hmm. And there's great humor in it. Also, just, you know, if you're into 
FBI, surveillance, CIA, not that she's in any of those, but just kind of in the spy and what's happening and figuring out a mystery. I think this book would appeal to you. And I just thought it was so fun also to have a single mom as the badass vigilante protagonist. So, (laughs) and I did see an interview with Jason and he said part of what was the impetus for him for writing this book was that he had a daughter. And so he wanted to kind of create a really good positive character that was female because he does have another series where the protect or the the main character is Henry Parker. And I haven't looked into it, but I'm going to now that I enjoyed this other one so much because I think there are six books or something like that in that series. So Again, the book was called Hideaway by Jason Pinter, Page Turner, out now. Highly recommend it. Nice. That sounds really good. I'm going to have to scope that out. So the book I read next, it's another one that I picked up for the Wales Readathon, which is a month-long readathon in March. And this was The Woman in the Dark by Vanessa Savage. It is a psychological family thriller slightly horror-ish novel. It too is a page turner. You know, psychological dramas are, you know, I do like some of them. I, it's not a genre I totally um, automatically go to, but I really enjoyed this one. It's about um, a husband and a wife. They have two kids. The wife has been experiencing some mental health challenges after the death of her mom they decide to move to this house that the husband had grown up in on the seaside of Wales. It's about, I think, two hours from Cardiff, so maybe like south, slightly central Wales coast. And he had this idyllic childhood. He loved growing up in this house. It was perfect. But his parents lost the home. And the second family that moved in after them, there was a mass murder that happened three of the four family members were murdered in the house. So it's been standing empty for 15 years. When As you might imagine. Yes, you know, <laughs> so Amityville horror-ish, you know, it's, it's great. I do love those kinds of stories. They move into this house and they're trying to fix it up and they're having a lot of problems of their own. The boy and the girl that they have are teenagers. You can imagine how pulling them out of school mid-year to move can affect them. It's one of those kinds of novels where, you know, what's going on and who do you trust? You know, do you trust the narrator? Do you trust the husband, the wife? Like, who is seeing, quote, reality? (laughs) I enjoyed it a lot. It had some really good creepiness going for it. (laughs) That sounds great. Yeah, so I did enjoy it. It is a psychological drama, mainly focusing around the couple. And as I call it, I think it's a category in my mind called heterosexuals behaving badly. (laughs) As I mentioned in that short video we did, it's, it's relying on stereotypical heteronormative behavior, you know, where... The husband's going to work. The wife is staying at home. She's trying. She has been an artist in the past and they're not communicating. They're not talking with each other at all. And there's also a lot of psychological problems happening. So to be fair, it is an extreme 
relationship makeover, home makeover type novel. Mm -hmm. If that makes sense. But I enjoyed it very much. I'm glad I read it. You know, it's challenging to read some days with the pandemic going on, but it was nice to have this readathon going. So I could just pick up the next book that I had in my stack and not think too hard about what I was reading next. And, And it was a page turner. It took me into people who had really deep problems, and it was a good relief. So, again, that's The Woman in the Dark by Vanessa Savage. Sorry how nice it is to read about other people's problems sometimes, isn't it? It sure is, <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, I read a book that's nonfiction. It's called I'll Always Write Back. The authors are Caitlin Alaferenka and Martin Gonda, with help by a journalist writer, Liz Welch. And this is based on the story of these two people, Caitlin and Martin, who became pen pals with each other in middle school. Hmm. And Caitlin was living in Pennsylvania in an upper middle class family, and Martin was living in Zimbabwe in a very impoverished family. Their lives were so different that, just to give you an example, Martin couldn't even really afford postage to send a letter to his pen pal. And Caitlin definitely didn't have that problem. You know, at first, they're just, it's just kind of like a whim. Both of the classes they're in, this is a project that their fellow teachers started. But they ended up writing to each other for years And Caitlin's family became very involved in Martin's family in helping them financially and also helping Martin, who ended up being this incredibly astute student, just really high-performing student in the village where he lived, and ended up eventually coming to the United States and going to university here stateside with the help of Caitlin and her family. It was really pleasant to read, you know, just to hear kind of a feel-good story. I wouldn't say that it was, like, miraculously well-written, but that wasn't the point of it either. Yeah. And so the book goes back and forth with different chapters, and based on the letters that they were writing to each other at the time, historically what was happening in each of their lives. And it even also touches on the idea that, you know, there was a point with Caitlin's family where, you know, Caitlin started to kind of squirrel away cash in these envelopes and letters she was sending to Martin. And her family started to worry, like, is this for real, you know, or is is our daughter being taken advantage of? So they talk about that a little bit, but it was very much for real. And it was also really interesting to see how just a little bit of American money could really change the life and the future of this boy mm. and his family mm-hmm. so I really enjoyed it I, I ha- didn't check to see if it was available on audio I read it and again it's called I'll Always Write Back by Caitlin Alaferenka and Martin Ganda sounds really good it's nice to hear an up- about an uplifting book yes <laughs> <laughs> well the other thing I read was a short story by Willa Cather for the Willa Cather short story project that I'm doing it was called Two Friends and it is based on a memory Cather has of these two men it's around the presidential election of 1896 there are these two friends in in the small western town who are very different men but they're both the two most successful men in town one of the guys owns the bank or or a bank and the grocery store in town. 
and the other man is a cattleman. And every night, though, they get together to play checkers and just hang out. And the narrator is a young girl. As far as I remember, I don't know if it's if the narrator is gendered. I took it to be a girl. I actually took it to be Vicky, who was in the story that we read the month before called Old Mrs. Harris. I just couldn't get her out of my mind. Um, but she's like 10 to 13 years old. Uh, during the time frame that she's remembering these two men. Presidential election of 1896 was another extremely divisive presidential election cycle. It was between uh, William Jennings Bryan and McKinley. McKinley was the Republican. Bryan was the Democratic nominee, and he was really for changing the gold standard, which divided a lot of people. It was also, there was a lot of uh, populist outcry, again, kind of very similar to our 2016 election. But these two friends, one was a Republican, one was a Democrat. For years, they kind of gently rubbed each other occasionally about politics. But, you know, they got along great, and, and it was never an issue. But this election tears them apart. So that's kind of like the plot of the, the story, If not that Cather was into plots in that way, but that's the action that's going on in the story. But the writing is just so beautiful because what Cather wanted to do was to create a painting. And you do get these gorgeous descriptions of sitting on the porch at sunset. There's some moon scenes with the moon shining on the dusty road. And you could just so vividly picture it as a moment in time. So it's beautifully written. I had read it around our 2016 election, and it did give me a little bit of comfort, I have to say, at that time. You know, I did get the the sense that it was kind of like Heather saying, you know, we survived the election of 1896. You know, you're going to get through this as well. But it was a beautiful short story, and I highly recommend it. Again, that's Two Friends by Willa Cather. Well, that's a nice theme for right now. Lovely. Yeah. <laughs> I read the novel The Giant's House by Elizabeth McCracken. This is a book I picked up at the used bookstore in New Haven called Gray Matter. When I saw it, I was really excited because Elizabeth McCracken is one of those authors that I've heard so much about, but I've just never read her. Mm-hmm. And this um, novel wasn't really big in size, so I thought it would be a good place to start. And it also has one of those little seals on the front that said that it was a National Book Award finalist. So that drew my attention. It's a story that takes place in 1950 in a very small town on Cape Cod, which I seem to have an affinity for reading books that take place there these days. Yeah, you're going to you're gonna have to make a, a shelf on Goodreads for, for Cape Cod books. Oh, I should do that. That's a really good idea, actually. I love it because it makes me feel like I visit there when I read it. You know, Mm -hmm. I feel the same way about books that take place in New York as well, I have to say. Yeah, that's cool. So the protagonist is a 26-year-old Peggy Court, and she's the librarian at the local public library. And one day, in walks a young man named James Sweat, and he's just considered to be like the over-tall 11-year-old boy that lumbers around town. And he comes in, and they slowly get to know each other because he starts asking her about books, and she starts recommending books to him. And then they slowly just start to develop a relationship, even though there's this, you know, basically decade-plus age gap. They befriend each other, and she gets to know his family. 
And then slowly, as he continues to grow and grow and grow because of a pituitary gland imbalance and becomes an over eight foot tall man, she helps him to kind of understand his place in the world through reading, which is really interesting and, you know, helps him to find books so he can understand his medical condition and then just becomes his friend. And there's some romance in it, but in a certain way, the romance is very Victorian in nature and somewhat at a distance. But I really enjoyed the writing and am really glad that I finally had a chance to explore who who Elizabeth McCracken is. I think the other thing that's interesting about her is that I don't know if she still is, but at one point in time anyway, she was the author Ann Patchett's editor, which I think is so interesting. It really is, yeah. She thinks Ann Patchett's ability to read and reread this manuscript probably qualifies her for sainthood or psychiatric evaluation. (laughs) (laughs) So it's interesting that the tables turned and her, the person that she edits became one of her editors. Right. Yeah. That's fabulous. I really enjoyed it. Again, it was called the giant's house by Elizabeth McCracken. Very cool. I read one more book uh, since last episode and it is called, Murder at the Mena House, a Jane Wonderly Mystery. It's by Erica Ruth Neubauer, I believe is how you pronounce your last name. And this one is coming out March 31st. So it's a cozy mystery set in 1926 in Egypt. And the main character, Jane Wonderly, um, this is book one in this new series. She is a widow. Uh, her husband died in World War One. And that was a good thing for her because he was not just abusive. He was a sadist. Um, Yeah. So you don't really think of that too much when you hear about people dying in the war or in other tragedies that for some people, it's a good thing. It's a a freedom when that abuser dies. So this is definitely kind of a different uh, take on the, the World War One widow. So she is in Egypt with her aunt, who is paying for the trip for them to go on vacation. And they're at a place, a hotel called Mena House. And it is for upscale, wealthy British and some American people are the main uh, clientele there. So a murder happens. And then another murder happens. (laughs) 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 And again, it's a cozy. So it was kind of a a nice treat to read this cozy after reading women in the dark or woman in the dark, which was violent and full of blood and torture and things (laughs) like that. You know, uh, this was a nice change from that. So of course there is a a man who is the tall, dark, handsome stranger who wears a fine suit very well who she, Jane, becomes kind of friends with, and they end up investigating the murder together a bit, although you don't really know who he is. And the aunt, who she's with, is having her own subplot going on that I thought was really unique and different, and I enjoyed it very much. I don't want to say too much and ruin the fun of this novel in trying to figure out who did it. Yeah. Um, But it was really good, and again, it's coming out Uh, Next week from Kensington is the publisher, and they're known for for doing a lot of really quality cozies. So again, that's Murder at the Mena House by Erica Ruth Newbar. 
So what about Biblio Adventures? Did you have any? You know, I kind of did. They're not our typical Biblio Adventures, but um, I did pick up two more books, Curbside. I had ordered a book from R.J. Julian Madison. So Laura and I put the dogs in the car and went off on a big adventure together, the whole pack. (laughs) (laughs) And we picked up that book from them. And then I had also ordered, Laura had actually ordered a book from Breakwater Books, which is our indie here in Guilford. So we picked up the book there as well. And at both places, you know, I went and tapped on the door and, you know, they handed the book over. I You prepay for them. And then they right. handed the book over. I had on my rubber gloves. They had on their rubber gloves. But it was nice to get out and do that and, you know, take the dogs for a ride. We also needed an onion. So we stopped <laughs> at the grocery store as well. One of the cool things is in Madison is the Madison Library there, the public library, they've been undergoing a huge expansion and renovation for, gosh, a year, do you think, Emily? How long do you think that's been going Yeah, easily a year. Yeah. Yeah. So it was exciting to see the construction fences came down as they're nearing completion. They're supposed to be finished sometime in July. And this has been a $15 million expansion and renovation, which was very much needed because it was – it wasn't a. It was a small library to begin with. They had put an addition on, I think, in the eighties or nineties. So it had been a long time coming that they needed to expand a bit more. They took over a building that was behind them as part of the expansion. So I'm really looking forward to seeing uh, the new place when that opens up in July. Yeah, I can't wait. I mean, one of the um, issues I know they had at that library was there just wasn't much meeting space or you know little private study rooms or anything like that, and. You know, we're very fortunate that our Guilford Library does have space like that. But, you know, I'm a big fan of going around to all the different public libraries and working. And I was surprised the one and only time that I worked at the Madison Library that there really was very little space there. Right. Yeah. Yeah, That's exciting. That's going to be a great change for them. How about you? I had my lovely couch Leo adventure with you where we Skyped and videoed and I just wanted to remind people that we do have a booktube channel and we do post our videos there so you can subscribe if you'd like and I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, Chris, but I believe if you subscribe that then you get a notice if we post a new video. Yeah, people can, you know, request that they get notification when a new video happens okay. or, or yeah, not, so. you know. I subscribe to a lot of different accounts on YouTube and some mm-hmm. of them I get the notification for and others I don't because, you know, they're different types right. of accounts and everything. But yes, you can get notification and we do tend to share them on social media as well. Right. And we also, you know, if you sign up for our newsletter, oftentimes we put a video in our newsletter and those are the same videos that end up on our booktube page, just so you know. Yeah. But I wanted to just tell people, too, that there are a lot of authors doing really cool things on social media right now. Um, Reading to children and one of the ones I came across that I've really been enjoying is Michael Chabon, who we follow. I know the Cougars follow him on our Instagram page. And he's been starting to read children's books aloud Yeah, on Instagram. It's hilarious, I have to say. You know, a lot of authors that I've been watching, like I watched Chris Bohalian do a Facebook Live yesterday. And, you know, a lot of them, this is their first experience using 
some of the technology that's available because they're doing it because their book tours have been canceled. And Michael Chabon cracks me up because he's he's always sideways. His videos always sideways. Yeah, on I noticed that. Yeah, <laughs> but it's still <laughs> darling. He's adorable, and he's reading you know some classic children's literature. And it reminded me of reading his book, Summerland, hmm. to my own children, which is a chapter book. It's a much larger book than a, you know, little kid's um, book. But I just love him. And I, it, it was, I, I've been listening to them because it makes me smile. But it also made me smile to think back to reading Summerland to my kids when my kids used to let me read out loud to them. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> and, and then I also wanted to tell you a little story, which is that I work for a lovely restaurateur, and she and I have been talking quite a bit, as you might imagine. She owns two restaurants that I work with her, um, and she, I, we, we talk quite often right now because there's a lot going on, as you might imagine. Um, if you all get the opportunity to order carry out from your local restaurant, it really is helping right now. But so my phone rang the other day and I thought, okay, you know, let's, you know, we're going to have to, there's some sort of issue. We're going to band together and have a conversation together. And it was her on the other end. And instead I picked up the phone and she said, I have a joke to tell you, <laughs> which was about the last thing I expected to come out of her mouth right now. <laughs> And she's a listener of the podcast, so she said, how do cats like their steak? And I'm terrible at solving jokes or riddles, so I said, I have no idea. And she said, rare! <laughs> and she said, I give you permission to tell that joke on the podcast. So there you have it. That's awesome. <laughs> The book of the war. <laughs> <laughs> oh my. Gotta awesome. find humor somewhere these Absolutely. days. Absolutely. Yeah. Great. <laughs> so what about upcoming Biblio adventures? Well, I treated myself to a trial subscription to Hulu, which is one of the other streaming services available out there. And the reason I did it is because of the show Little Fires Everywhere, which is based on the novel by Celeste Ng, which I really loved. And the rights to the novel were purchased by Reese Witherspoon, and she made a serialized show, which is being aired only on Hulu. Okay. So that's one of my big ones that I'm very excited about. Yeah. How about you? Well, I have book club tonight. We're doing it via Zoom. That's a, Oh, cool. Yeah. You know, we usually meet in person in New Haven. I haven't read the book this month. I just couldn't. <laughs> and uh, a couple other people, at least, well, at least one other member of the book group said um, that she didn't read it either. But we, we wanted to get together to still, you know, talk about the book for those who did and just kind of see each other. So... The book I was supposed to have read was The Gardens of Emily Dickinson by Judith Farr. Which, Never heard of it. Yeah, it, this one, I think it came out, when did it come out? 2004, Harvard University Press. And it is about Emily Dickinson and gardening. Like, I, I can't even tell you more than that because I have a copy from the library. 
and I haven't even picked it up to really look at it. Um, but also from the library, I picked up Emily Dickinson's Gardening Life, The Plants and Places That Inspired the Iconic Poet. And this one is by Marta McDowell. And it is a bit of a newer book. This one came out in 2019. So it's really new. So two books about Emily Dickinson and gardening. And I know we're all on social isolation lockdown, but spring is here. And if you can get copies of these books, they might be inspirational for your own gardening plans. Or if you don't have a garden to live vicariously through Emily Dickinson. I have to say, it's funny you should say that because I took a walk in my neighborhood yesterday and there were so many people out in their yards working. I was like, wow, everyone is going to have the most badass garden this yes. year, you know, <laughs> like the most well-tended, weeded, you know, yes. gardens. I can't wait to, to watch from a distance. I really appreciate gardens, but I don't so much enjoy doing it myself. Yeah. So that's cool. <laughs> Yeah, so we'll be doing the Zoom thing tonight, and hopefully nice. that goes well. Yeah, That's lovely. It's lovely to keep in touch with people. I have to say, I've been alone now for a week and a half, mm-hmm. and um, I am really utilizing FaceTime to keep in touch with people, and um, it really makes a difference for me if I see my kids. Even the other day, my daughter called me while she was making her you know, macaroni and cheese, and she sat down at her table and ate it, and mm-hmm. I watched and chatted with her, and I felt so rich inside by having that experience. Yeah. So I feel really lucky to be living in a time where we have the technology we have to keep in touch with each other and the people we love. Yeah, absolutely. So. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So we also wanted to tell people that we are proud sponsors of a new initiative that was born because of the pandemic and authors having to cancel their book tours. We mentioned this on the last episode. This was started by author Carolyn Lovett, and then she was quickly um, was teamed up with the author Jenna Blum, and they changed the name to A Mighty Blaze. They have a really super cute logo. Um, You can access their information from Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And essentially what they're doing, the main focus is they're giving authors whose books have recently published or are going to be coming out soon a platform to give a little elevator speech about their book, why they wrote it, what it's about, and um, just let people know that they're available or going to be available soon that you can order them from your local indie and it's really a lovely way to just get the word out because you know these authors work for years and years they toil away on these books and now many of them their books are coming out at a time where they can't market them right they can't have those events and you know it is it's really crushing to imagine that especially for first time authors with their book coming out not being able to do events in their hometown or in other parts of the country so we're partnering with them to help get word to readers about these new books that are coming out yeah and i imagine even to bookstores too right i mean it'll help that if someone places an order you know bookstore might not even know about these books because Tours aren't happening for the authors, you know? Right. Yeah. And I know the bookstores I've been in touch with, you know, they've been pretty busy uh, in a different way. 
and they're really appreciative of everybody putting in their special orders. So don't hesitate to do that. I know a lot of bookstores are offering free shipping now, or you can, you know, do the curbside pickup, whatever you're comfortable with. There's also the ebook option as well. Yes. Anything we can do to spend money with local indie bookstores, with local businesses of any kind, even if you don't have anything you want to buy, but you want to buy a gift certificate, that really does help. Yeah. Um, a lot of these people are trying to keep their employees from becoming impoverished. So anything we can do to help is really welcome. reads what you got you know what i have a really cool one that i'm looking forward to it came out in february it is a book about the u-505 which is the submarine it was a submarine uh during world war ii german submarine that was captured off the coast of africa and eventually made its way to chicago where it's been on display at the Museum of Science and Industry since since my dad was a teenager. <laughs> um, wow. It's so cool. So the U-505, anybody who has been to the Museum of Science and Industry, or even most people who live in Chicago know about this submarine, it's amazing. Um, for the longest time, it was just kind of housed outside of the museum, and eventually they created a whole wing for the submarine. And you can actually go inside of it. It's just an amazing story, the U-505. And I want to get back to the book here. It is it is nonfiction. It's for adults. And it has a lot of great photos in it from people involved in transporting the sub to Chicago. So the full title of the book is U-505, The Final Journey. It's by James E. Wise, Jr., and Father's Day is coming up, Mother's Day too. I hate that sounded really sexist of me to say that only fathers or to imply that fathers would be more interested in submarines than other humans because hello, I'm a woman and I dig submarines. That's so cool. The the last time I talked about submarines was when I was up in Maine in Portland and there we were in some park that where there was Something to do with submarines. I'm not telling this story very well. I can't remember the story, but it had something to do with World War II, I want to say. Mm -hmm. And I said to Jim, the gentleman caller, and my son Jacob, how could a submarine get so close to the shoreline without being seen? And they both laughed at me because they were like, submarines are underwater. <laughs> but I said, don't, when submarines get close to shore, I thought they had to put their little viewfinder thing up. Yeah. And they said, they laughed at me and said, no, they don't have to do that. But that was always my understanding of submarines. Oh, well. well maybe you know. I need to read the book so I understand <laughs> more about submarines. Well, it depends on what kind of submarine, you know. But, I mean, they do have to come up eventually for air. That's what I thought. You know, because they both laughed at me. Because the air that. does get recycled, you know, but... I don't know how, I mean, more modern subs can stay submerged for, for I think, weeks on end. Yeah, well, yeah. this was back in the day. So anyway, I felt kind of silly that I didn't know what I was talking about, because I always thought submarines, I mean, I know submarines are underwater, but I always thought that the only way they could see what was going on above water was yeah. to put their little pokey thing out. Well, yeah, sure, that's <laughs> the only way that they can see, yeah. Okay, yeah. well... Maybe they just didn't understand what I was trying to say. Yeah, it could have been a miscommunication. Well, I wanted to remind people about our upcoming read-along, which is Go, Wink, Gone by Jenny Erpenpeck. 
And um, we are going to be talking about that book when we record, I think, around May 22nd, something like that. The um, Goodreads page is already open. There's someone who's already finished it. There are many people reporting that they've got their copies. So please join us for that. Yeah, that's going to be a lot of fun. So I have in my notes, it's going to be the May 26th episode. 26. So yeah. I must have put, so the 22nd is when we'll be recording. So yeah. if anyone wants to pipe in with any questions or comments that you want us to discuss, please do have that to us by May 22nd, which isn't that far away. I'm it's excited not, to dig yeah. into that one. I am looking forward to that. And then we were having just a regular old-fashioned telephone call this week, and we decided that we're just on a whim going to do a joint read-along together of a book that was one of the big book expo buzz picks in 20 back in spring of 2019. Yes, that's going to be The Secrets We Kept by Laura Prescott. We both yeah. got copies and we've both been meaning to read it and we haven't. And so we were, when we were talking the other day, you know, we were talking about wanting to read like another page turner and and when that book came up, we were both like, oh, my God, we both have it. So we're going to do a buddy read together. And y'all are welcome to join us. Yeah, it's readily available now. It came out, I think, back in September of 19. So we're both really excited about it. And um, it's one that's been sitting on my desk really in a very prime spot since I brought it home from Expo. So I was thrilled to dust it off today when we talked about it. We're going to actually start reading it, and then Friday, we're going to record a video about it. Excellent. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, everybody, that's our episode for today. We just want to let you all know we're thinking about you, and we hope you're staying safe. And we wish you all much happy reading. Thanks for listening to The Book Cougars with Chris Wallach and Emily Fine. We'll be back with another episode in two weeks. Until then, come chat with us on social media or on our Goodreads group. And if you'd like to contact us directly, email us at bookcougars at gmail.com. Thanks, everyone.